Well, good morning and uh, uh, Merry Christmas, a day late. I hope that you had a great Christmas. The DeWitts did. I got two young daughters, and so it was cute and fun. And uh, when I get home, they want to play with all their things they got, and it's uh, been really a fun uh, fun uh, day or so. And uh, I'm here I am today. You know, Pastor Dexter is uh, preaching at Crown Point today. And the reason for that is that the Crown Point campus this year was, was good. And so Santa determined that as a gift, they got Dexter, okay? But this campus has been naughty. And so you get me uh, today. I'm so sorry. Uh, but I think Dexter might be showing up. There's only one service uh, at, at Crown Point, and so he, I think he might be here by the end of the service. You might see him yet. Um, much to all of your relief, no doubt. So uh, I am uh, continued to be uh, blessed by the stories I hear out of our, our ministry here, both uh, the campus and the, and the City Life Center. And there was a really great event a week or so ago with the City Life Center. Many, many of you probably were a part of that. I think we served like 200 uh, people, meals, and, and uh, celebrated some of the things going on at the City Life Center, and so we certainly rejoice in that ministry as well. In fact, the uh, offering at our Christmas Eve services at our other campuses all went to the City Life Center, and I have not heard how much, uh, I've not heard how much that, w- that is, but uh, whatever it is, it's all going there, so we hope that that is a is a blessing uh, as well. Hey, make sure you uh, make sure you you know take care of Dexter and Paige. Shower them with love uh, and encouragement, and uh, we we need uh, we need them encouraged, wind in their sails, and uh, sailing into 2022, which is hard to believe, isn't it? Just think about those numbers, and you're alive in 2022. Uh, some of us that are a little older, it's sort of a shocking thing to, to write 2022, uh, but we're just a few days away from that, and uh, aren't we glad that 2021 is behind us? Uh, for the most part, a challenging year, and uh, we certainly hope that God continues to bless and meet us in 2022, even as he's promised that he will, so we know that he will. So happy new year, a few days in advance. And uh, may 2022 be, be a great year here at, the, at Bethel Church Geary. Well, we have been doing a series, all our campuses have been for Christmas, uh, entitled Finding Christ at Christmas. And we have been locating him in the redemptive story. And we started in heaven that Jesus, his name wasn't Jesus then, but He was there as the second person of the Trinity, there in the Godhead, before all there there is except God. Like, there was nothing except God, and there he was. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so we located him there in heaven. We see you, Jesus, there in heaven. And the next place we found him was in Mary's womb. And there in that womb we have the miracle of the Incarnation, how God became flesh, how God became a fetus, how God 
uh, became a, a, uh, a fetus kicking the uterine wall and having an umbilical cord. And I mean, just it's amazing to think about Jesus there as a fetus in Mary's womb, and yet God at the same time. So we have this irony in Mary's womb where Jesus, through the umbilical cord, is depending on Mary for everything. But Mary, because Jesus is God, is depending on him for everything too. And that irony is sort of like, it's, it's the majesty and the mystery of the incarnation. And then we found Jesus in the manger. And there in that cradle, in that place where we talk about how dirty it must have been with animals eating out of the hay and, and slobbering and, and all the germs there. And yet the Bible isn't interested in the germs of the manger, but the lowliness of the manger and how far Jesus, who had been the exalted one, had, had gone down the chasm between his exaltation and his humiliation. And then we talked about Jesus on the cross. Uh, and this is the last message in the series, and we are talking about Jesus' exaltation, exaltation. You know, a lot of our stories are filled with uh, sagas of rags to riches. Many of the, uh, the Disney stories, for example, are about some, you know, pauper or some whatever who becomes the prince. And uh, Mark Twain told stories uh, like this. Cinderella, another example of rags to riches and we are fascinated with these stories of somebody who starts off you know uh, in a low place but in their life ends up somehow in a in a high place the servant girl who becomes a queen does that sound like a bible story how about esther right or uh, joseph who uh, is a slave ends up being a prince of egypt as the movie entitled his story the Prince of Egypt. And all of these stories that we revel in are little pictures of the grand story, the best story of all, which is the story of Jesus and the story of how he started off high, but then he took the lowest place. But he does not end up in the lowest place. He ends up back in the highest place. And finding Christ this Christmas, we are doing that from heaven to the womb, to the manger, to the cross, and now today back to heaven, back in exaltation. And that is the point of the text that was read earlier in Philippians 2. I'm going to read it, uh, I'm going to translate now the English that you, or the Spanish that you heard, and I'm just doing this off the cuff, I'm joking. Uh, what does Feliz Navidad mean? I don't even know. I'm kidding with that. I do know a little bit. But here is Philippians 2, again, verses 6 through 8. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, a thing to be held onto, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We start in the story of Jesus, not with his riches, but the rags of Jesus, the humiliation of Jesus. And this text shows kind of a progression of down, down, down he goes. It starts with, he became a servant. In fact, it could easily be translated a slave. 
that Jesus, the Son of God, became a slave. And you say, well, how much of a slave was he? Notice in verse 6, it says that he was in very nature God. Okay, so his very nature was God. We affirm that, the deity of Jesus. It is the same Greek word that says that he became a servant. So in a sense, to the extent that he was God, and we say 100%, is the extent to which he also became a servant, which we must say also 100%. The prince, a slave. Imagine uh, Michael the archangel and Gabriel and all the other angels looking down on this. The Bible indicates that God does not reveal his redemptive plan to the angels, that they stare at this also in a kind of wonder and how they must have looked in wonder on Jesus just becoming a human being in the first place and how humiliating that would be for him. But then not just any human being, but a human being who came to serve. Imagine their wonder as Jesus took up the the towel and the basin and washed the feet of the disciples. He who is the highest, taking the lowest place at the feet of other human beings. And what is he doing there? He is serving them. He is serving them. As precious as his face was, imagine the angels in wonder as they saw Roman soldiers beating his face, spitting on him. Remember what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane when Peter draws the sword to try to fight off the Romans from arresting him. He says, could I not just right now summon 12 legions of angels for my father? Now, I'd rather like to see what 12 legions of angels would do to come and to save the Son of God if he was in peril, okay? But he did not summon them, and he was beaten, and he did not summon them, and he was flogged, and he did not, it just, the, just the thought of the Son of God, and they would have rushed to his aid. But he did not do that. Why? Because he came not as a prince, but as a pauper. He did not come as the king, or he is the king, but he came as a servant. He took the very nature of a servant. And then, as we've said, he became a man by emptying himself, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now, we look at that, and we don't find that necessarily that humiliating because that's all that we've ever been, is human beings, And in some ways, we sort of look around in creation and we think, you know, we're kind of better than the polywogs and the centipedes and the, you know, the the animals or whatever. But for Jesus to become a human being was a step down greater than we can even begin to imagine. Now, let me help you, uh, help us try to understand the gap between Jesus and us. Do we have any fishermen here? Anybody here like to fish? I don't know. Okay, fisherwoman. I said that wrong, didn't I? That's right. What do you like to fish for? All right. Do you eat them and, and all that? Oh, yeah. Okay, good. All right. Oh, got some other fishermen, fisherwoman, fisherwoman, fisher kid, fisher son, boy, man. Okay. This is a very fishy campus right here that we have. <laughs> So imagine with me, okay, if you, if you understand how fishing goes, imagine with me that you're out fishing in a boat, you're by yourself, you're having a nice time, you put the lure in the water, and all of a sudden a fish is on. You pull the fish, you're cranking that fish in, it's getting, it's getting closer and closer, and you reach down and you pull that fish out. Now imagine that moment from the fish's perspective, 
okay? The fish all of a sudden leaves the water and there's a blue sky. And the fish sees the trees along the shore. And the fish looks and sees for the first time a human being. Imagine this fish trying to understand all of a sudden everything that he is, or it's a female, she fish is seeing. Now imagine with me if you took the fish before you ate it and you said, I'm going to explain to you fish what it's like to be a human being. You took the fish and said, this is my house. This is a living room and this is a kitchen and, and, and this is a backyard and this is my house. And you took the fish and said, this is my job. Okay? Maybe like Chris, you're a you know, computer guy, IT, or you're a teacher, or whatever it is that you do. I'm doing this, and this is how I make money. And by the way, let me explain ec uh, economic realities to you, and, and money, and all the rest. And Imagine trying to explain to a human being, what it's, or to a fish, what it's like to be a human being. And then imagine explaining the space shuttle, or imagine uh, an iPhone, or some other Think, could a fish ever begin to fathom what it's like to be a human being? And it's, a, it's, it's even more than that for us with Jesus. We are closer to the fish in understanding than we are to Jesus. God is infinite, okay? The fish ain't infinite, and we're not infinite. God is infinite. Okay? So imagine the humiliation that you would have to become a fish. Talk about a step down. And now imagine what it was for Jesus to become one of us. And that humiliation is what the Apostle Paul is highlighting here, where Jesus steps down from his place of exaltation and becomes one of us, made in the likeness of men. We cannot begin to understand the privileges that he gave up to become one of us. Third, note that Jesus didn't simply become a servant, and he didn't simply, if I can say it that way, become a human being, but on top of that, he became a curse. He humbled himself, and became obedient to death, even, note this, even death on a cross. Christ, Christ didn't hold on to the rights of being God, and he didn't even hold on to the right to living. He willingly gave up his life. You know, no human being has ever done that in the way that Jesus did. Because we die because we're human. But for God to die, the only way he does it is if he says, I'm going to do it. I willingly give up my life. He became a curse and was obedient to death. And not a death like, you know, some kind of glorious death. Not a death even by disease. But a death on a cross, a death bearing our guilt and shame. We often focus on the atrocities, the physical atrocities and the gruesomeness of crucifixion. But that was not the worst thing that Jesus went through. Far worse than the pain, even as real as that was, 
was the Son of God, the Holy Son of God, in his conscience, bearing the moral responsibility for the sins of the world. He became a curse. And the Bible looks at that, what Jesus did, and says, that is humiliation. That is him humbling himself beyond anything we can we can imagine. We don't like to be humble. And we certainly don't like to be humbled. I remember one time I was at a, at a conference, a bunch of pastors there, and, and the speaker was there, and, uh, and uh, he had a couple quotes in his, in his message that I wanted to, you know, can I get that quote from you? Because I thought I'd bring it back to my church and I could use that quote. And, and so I, I waited in line and I went up to him and I said, hey, I said, you had a couple quotes there. Could I, could I like, what, what were those again? He goes, oh yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get those to you. He goes, hey, by the way, here's my briefcase and, and here's my, my this and my coat and all that. He said, would, would you take that back in the back to the coat rack and put this on the top shelf and put my coat on the hanger? And, and then he, he turned away from me and started talking to somebody else. And there I stood with this guy's coat and his <laughs> briefcase and, and I kind of walked away like does he know who I am why am I carrying this guy's luggage around you ever feel like that maybe as a parent or as a spouse suddenly there's a calling to like totally humble yourself and serve the other person and you're kind of like why am I doing this do they know who I am? And this is where Christ's humbling is so challenging. Think of the greatest humbling of yourself you've ever had to do for somebody. And then we look at Jesus and his humility, his humility was obedient to death on the cross. You want to talk about being a servant to others? You want to talk about becoming something way beneath who you were? You want to talk about riches to rags? It's the ultimate. The ultimate highest place. And the person there takes the ultimate lowest place. And he dies for sinners. All right, Pastor Steve, what's your point? Well, here's the point is that's not the end of the story. Praise God, it's not the end of the story. Because this story goes on from the cross, and here is what the Apostle Paul describes the story of Jesus from the rags now to the riches of exaltation. Verse 9, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What these verses are describing are the actions of the Father based upon the humility and the servanthood of Jesus. It is a response, notice the therefore, this is connecting the humility of the Son with the actions of the Father. How did the Father exalt the Son? Well, it begins with His resurrection. There, in that moment, God the Father 
showing that he accepted the sacrifice of the Son, reaches into that cold grave with power that only God the Father has, and he reconstitutes the personhood of Jesus. He brings back to life that body. He sends Jesus, the the real Jesus, the soul of Jesus, back to that body, and Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And 40 days later, the Bible says that Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go make disciples of all nations and see you later. Because up he went in what is known as his ascension, a moment we don't focus enough on probably, the ascension of Jesus as he went back into heaven. And you remember, the disciples are there and they're looking up like, wow, and the angels appeared and go, what you doing? He told you to get busy. (laughs) Quit staring up in the sky. He's going to come back again the way that he left. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place. Let's walk through this. What does that mean? What is the highest place? You know, when we talk about somebody uh, like moving up in the world, okay, is a, is a, is a language that we'll, we'll use, uh, or the old, uh, what was the old uh, TV show, moving on up <laughs> to the top, <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Now, Leanne said, that, Leanne said that Dexter sometimes sings, and that that's a really bad idea. So, Leanne, I'm sorry about that. Good to see Pastor Dexter back. How'd it go at Crown Point this morning? All right. Dexter, I told this campus, I said, I said that uh, Dexter preached at Crown Point today because Santa determined that they had been a good campus. But this campus was bad, and so they get me today. (laughs) You like that? All right. (laughs) So, moving up, typically, even in our understanding, is a sense of, like, exaltation, an increased sense of importance. What this is, though, is a value statement, a value judgment by the Father upon the work of Jesus in acceptance of his sacrifice and his work. And now God exalts him and gives an estimation of him now and says that he is now supreme. He is in the highest place, a spot reserved for the Son of God, And you begin to say, well, what is that spot exactly? Like, where is that highest place of exaltation? Let me see if you can get a sense of it from these other verses. Ephesians 1, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. 1 Peter 3, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into the heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Acts 7, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, 
this is Stephen now, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Hebrews 1, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having been as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Hebrews 1, and to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? What was that moment? That was God the Father after the ascension of Jesus to heaven, essentially saying to the Son, welcome, Son, to my right hand. Come and sit right here in the highest place of all, the right hand of God the Father. There Jesus is. Right now, there Jesus is. The highest honor, the highest place. And note, now the highest name. And gave him the name that is above every name. The Greek word there for gave means graciously given. And it's a sense of like joy that the father had on naming or giving a name to Jesus. Now I got to tell you, we had such a cute moment yesterday in our home because my parents gave to my two daughters uh, these very lifelike dogs. They're not real dogs. They're like fake dogs, but they look like real dogs. Even like their, their, their chest goes up and down like they're breathing and they're just sort of cuddled up like this. You know what my girls wanted to do right away? Give them a name. They named their dogs. A little while later, we weren't sure what my parents were giving them, but a little while later, our gift to the girls was, were these two baby dolls, and these baby dolls are freakishly realistic. They're called weighted dolls. Have you ever heard of this? It's like actually what it's like to have an actual baby, and uh, it's sort of creepy. I mean, here's my daughter holding, she's eight, holding her baby, just makes me want to cry at the thought of it. But what are they talking about? Names. Names for the baby. They get, to name, they get to name their baby. God, upon the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, gives a name to him. And you might be like, yeah, we know. It's the name Jesus. No, no, he already had the name Jesus. Joseph gave him the name Jesus because the angel told him to give him the name Jesus. We're talking about another name. This other name is not so much like a personal name as it is a title, okay? A title. What name was it? We can see it by skipping ahead. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is, notice what? Lord. Lord. What is the name? It is the name Lord, Kyrios in the Greek. This was a title that was used by the Roman citizens for the Caesar. Okay? 
He is, the, he is the highest, the Roman Caesar. Nobody more powerful than the Roman Caesar. There's nobody with more uh, reach and, and, and more authority than the Roman Caesar. And they would say that he is curios. He is supreme. He is the highest of all. And here we have Jesus now with a new name, a title. His place, right hand of God the Father. His title, Lord. And what kind of Lord is he? He is Lord over everything. Hebrews 2.8, now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. This is what Jesus meant when he said to the disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There is nobody with a higher authority than me. In fact, this concept of the supremacy of Jesus, the name of Jesus, is the earliest Christian creed of all. If we could push a button and go in a time machine, and we go all the way back to the first century when James and John and Peter and everybody were walking around, the church was just getting going, what was the confession that meant that you were a Christian? Jesus Christos Kyrios, Jesus Christ is Lord. And I wonder if you believe that today. Because back in the first century, this was a scandalous thing to say that Jesus was Lord. No, Caesar is Lord. Or, 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 or this God in the pantheon is Lord. But to say, no, there is one God, there is one name, there is one person that is higher than even the Roman Caesar. And your God that you're worshiping over here, he is the highest God, was a scandalous thing. And we live in the same kind of day uh, today, where... In a similar way, people are out worshiping their gods, living for their things. And when we come along as a Christian and say, no, no, there is an authority, there is a, there is a truth, there is a word, there is a person who is the one true God. And you must believe in him or you are not saved. You do not have eternal life. There is only one way to the Father and that is through Jesus Christ. We say things like this, people are offended to this day. They don't mind us saying that Jesus is the Christ. They don't mind us saying Jesus is a, is a Savior. But when we say he is the Savior and he is the Lord, now we've got a problem. Okay, Now we've got a problem. But this is the offense, the scandal on of the gospel, is that Jesus Christ is Lord. And by the way, we don't make him Lord. We don't make him Lord. People say, you know, sometimes in, in Christianity churches, they say, you got to make Jesus Lord of your life. I know what that means, and there's a certain sense of it that's probably good. But we don't make him Lord. He is Lord, okay? He is Lord. I remember years ago, I, 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 the previous church that I uh, was a worship pastor at, um, and, and no, I'm not leading the last song, because now that you know that. But there was this popular song at the, at the time, and it went like this, Jesus, Jesus, Lord to me, Master, Savior, Prince of Peace, okay? And I was leading that song. After the service was done, the senior pastor was mad as could be at me. He says, don't you ever do that song again. I'm like, what's wrong with this song? He says, Jesus, Lord to me. He goes, we don't make him Lord, he is Lord, don't sing it again. But you know what? i got to say, I think he's right. Okay, I think he's right. 
There at the right hand of God the Father, there is Jesus with all authority. And in this sense, we either bow now or we will bow then, okay? And sharing the gospel with somebody and urging them to become a Christian is, in a sense, urging them to do now what they will be forced to do someday. Bow the knee now. Trust in him now. Because he is right now the ruling and reigning Lord of all. He goes on now to this tribute, this highest tribute. I read it before, let me read it again. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Notice all the knees. In heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is coming a day, friends, when there is going to be a universal submission to the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And everybody's going to be there. Everybody who has ever lived will be there. And friend, you're going to be there. And I'm going to be there. There is coming a day when every human being, every angel, every Cherubim and seraphim, every being that has ever been, will be there. And what is going to occur? Notice, there will be a universal submission. Every knee will bow. Okay? What, what does this mean when somebody goes like this in front of somebody else? Okay? I am in total submission to you. Every knee will bow. The rebellious will bow. The wicked will bow. The notorious will bow. Their Genghis Khan will bow. Adolf Hitler will bow. Satan will bow. All will bow. And all will chant. Here is now the universal admission. Kyrios, Jesus, Christos. Jesus Christ is Lord. Every being will say that in a kind of antiphonal chant, shouting, Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, does that mean that in the end everybody is saved? Some would say that. They would look at that and say, oh, look, in the end, everybody confesses Jesus, so therefore everybody is under the grace of God, and everybody goes to heaven, and everything's kind of, you know, copacetic, hunky-dory, we're all good. No. It says that they will only make this confession. Saying Jesus is Lord doesn't save anyone. It is the embracing of Jesus as Lord. It is the affection and faith and trust and believing and loving of Jesus as Lord that is the statement of faith. Okay? So bowing and believing is what makes personal salvation. And you either bow now or you're going to bow then. Bow now or bow later, because someday everybody will bow.
But not everybody will trust and believe, and not everybody will be saved. This is not a great illustration I'm about to share with you. I'm acknowledging it, okay? But it's my attempt at, at, at illustrating this. So imagine uh, in your mind, you've seen these uh, moments play out. Every four years, there is a new presidential election, okay? And after the president is elected, at least in the years where we actually know who won, uh, <laughs> Uh, and we're not counting chads or arguing about it or whatever it was. There is the inauguration of the new president. And you've probably seen the scene, haven't you, in Washington, D.C.? Because it's almost always the same. Down, uh, down whatever that avenue is, I forget the name of it right now, comes the motorcade. And there are tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people that line the street in order to see the president minutes before he is inaugurated as the as the president and you know you know the scene okay motorcade lots of secret service walking uh, around the 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 car you've got military stationed about every five feet along the entire street on both sides there's lots of guns there's lots of uh, uh security and there are lots of people and and at some point he gets out of the vehicle and he starts to walk doing the presidential wave you know uh, and there are people that are there and they are cheering but not everybody's cheering you always have that group of people who are not so happy that this is the person that won the election and there they are, you know, they sort of quartered them off on a, in a little area, and there they are with their signs, you know, not my president. Down with you, boo! Everybody there will acknowledge, yeah, he's the president. But not everybody there is happy about it. Okay? And in a way, it's a picture of what Jesus' inauguration is going to be like. Where everybody, all the way to Satan himself, will bow and will acknowledge Jesus Christos Kyrios, Jesus Christ is Lord. But in their hearts, not happy about that. Not happy about that. And the Bible tells us that Someday, this gathering, there Jesus will be, the Lamb upon his throne. And every human being and every angel, angelic being, and every being that was ever a being will be there, gathered around that throne. And at some point, God the Father will announce his Son. Behold, Jesus and in the biggest human wave that has ever happened, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, he's Lord. But not everybody will be happy about it. Even in hell, there will be blasphemy and rebellion and anger and hate even as they acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. So what's your conclusion? 
Will you be one like I described, bowing and acknowledging, but not excited about it? Or will you, along with every single true follower of Jesus, in that moment will be the greatest moment of your entire existence, where you will join with brothers and sisters who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, who will fall to our knees and probably to our faces as well. And however we can raise our hands on our faces, we will be saying, Jesus Christos Kyrios, Jesus Christos Kyrios. And in our hearts, we'll be rejoicing at that moment that Jesus, who was in the highest place, took the lowest place, but now has returned to the highest place, and there in that highest place is my Savior, Lord, and friend, Jesus Christ. Now, to be true to the text, I have one application. The point of this text, besides telling us the story of Jesus, is to summon us to follow his example. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That though he was in the highest place, he took the lowest place. He became a servant. And the call that Paul has to the Philippians is, now look around, Church of Philippi, at the other people in the congregation. Don't be exalting yourself. Don't be trying to position yourself. Don't be you know, all about you. Have the same mind that Christ had where he took the lowest step. He became a servant. And from that posture of servanthood, there comes unity and love in the congregation. Do it just like Jesus did it. Take the lowest step. Because from the lowest step, now God is free to exalt you, just like he did Jesus. Because greatness in the kingdom of God is to be servant of all. But in the end, verse 11, it all goes to the glory of God the Father. In the end, God gets the glory. So in the final sort of analysis here, we have the unbelievable privilege to participate in God's own purposes of glorifying himself in the humiliation of the Son and the salvation of sinners and the exaltation of Jesus to the right hand of God. And in the end, what do we say? To God be the glory. Amen.